Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Liam Maitland, KCBS Foodie Chap in Doliani, Piemonte, Italy, with food photographer Clay McLachlan. Clay, good to see you, my friend. How are you? Great to see you. I should really begin by saying ciao. Ciao. That's what they say here, right? That's what we say. And every interview I do begins with, what are we drinking? We are drinking a... 2014 San Fareolo from Doliani, a delicious uh, representation of Doliani, which is Dolcetto. As you pop that open, folks, people come here for the great wine. They come here for the food, slow food. It all started here, not too far away in Alba. And listen, the Italians have it down. They know how to eat, (laughs) when to eat. They know how to drink wine, the best of wines. Uh, that's why I'm here. Clay, um, let's, before we talk about your journey, we have to have a little taste here. So, here we go. My word. Right there, there's a big, a big burst of spice in your nose. That's another gift from the guards, a gift from Piemonte right here. Absolutely. Your journey. You grew up in San Francisco, my neighborhood, Noe Valley. Correct. And I'm curious to know, uh, growing up in Noe for you uh, in the 70s, how was life there? What are your food memories growing up? My food memories were having access to lots of different cuisines. So Mexican, Italian, Thai, Chinese, Japanese, and just being exposed to lots of different flavors. There was one Italian restaurant in Noe Valley... (laughs) It's legendary just because it was there for so long, some 40 years. It's now called Lupa, back in the day, Little Italy. And you have some memories as a kid, eating right there at Little Italy. I vividly remember going to Little Italy, and I often think that that might be an inspiration for um, my Italian dream. Uh, Your Italian dream, it's it's a dream realized now. It took a while to get here. Photography, your passion, your love. When did that passion first ignite? Uh, My passion for photography began, I would say, at about age 13. My grandfather um, took a summer trip to Japan and came back with a camera. Do you recall those very first things you photographed, you picking up a camera? What were you observing? What were you looking for through your lens? I was looking at landscapes, landscapes of of San Francisco, um, faces, people, um, photo projects at school. You did not go to school, though, for photography, right? I did. The, I went to Lick, Wilmer, Lick, Wilmerding, ugh, Lick Wilmerding High School in yeah. San Francisco, and actually it was a school dedicated half towards, um, half towards the arts. So I studied photography in high school. So you did, but then when you went on to university, philosophy? Uh, I was a double major in philosophy and art, which uh, with a primary focus in photography. Was it in some way, um, obviously your father was an artist, right? Correct. My, my dad was a, was a fine art cabinet maker and painter. 
and an early inspiration in some way for you? Absolutely. Um, I knew I wanted to find some art that fit for me, um, and uh, photography was um, how I wanted to see the world. At some point, you would take it professionally. Your first gig in photography was when and where? My first assignment was a portrait of a retired baseball player for Sports Illustrated, and I was 20. 20 years old, Sports Illustrated. Most people, you know, work up to that, Clay. They, they don't start there. It was, uh, it was an amazing opportunity that I was given, and I took advantage of it. Uh, and so for a decade, 10 years, uh, major sporting events, major sporting figures, uh, and you got to travel the world. Uh, tell me about the takeaway from that decade as a photographer with Sports Illustrated. Uh, the most important thing for me during that time was being around very talented photographers who were successful but very, very dedicated to creating beautiful images. And um, there were some that were very honest with me. I spent a lot of time assisting other photographers, and they talked to me about how they got started. I kind of interviewed all of them to figure out how I wanted to progress with my career. Um, it was really, really, really amazing. Everyone has a mentor. One person who perhaps guided them, uh, paved the way, was the one mentor for you? There wasn't one mentor, but there were a few different photographers who, who made a big impression on me. And um, I knew that I wanted to take, take something from them and how they, how they started and make it my own. As a sports photographer, you got to travel the world. What happened on those travels in your off time? Um, pretty much every minute that I had free uh, was spent looking for the best restaurant in whatever city we were in. <laughs> you have to eat well when you're traveling, right? Exactly. So many countries, so many cities, so many great meals. What stood out to you? What are the food memories from your travels um, early on? In, well, while I was traveling with sports photography? Yeah. Um, in particular, we try, I did a lot of hockey, so we traveled through, um, you know, between Winnipeg, Ottawa, um, Toronto, Montreal, Quebec, and uh, in these cities, there were just these amazing places that, um, I remember one place in Winnipeg, we would always go there, it was old school with red, red um, leather booths and asparagus soup, but it made such an impression on me, uh, we always made it a point to eat at these funky little places. You were seeking out, even then, the good food. Uh, you would go a little deeper uh, and follow that, fa that passion for food uh, greatly uh, when you took a year out after Sports Illustrated. Tell me about that year that you took out and traveled the world, where you went, and what you discovered along the way. Um, I really wanted to uh, see the world. I really wanted to eat uh, in these amazing places. I wanted to not just eat the food that I'd eaten as a kid in San Francisco, but I actually wanted to go to the country. So my primary purpose for that year was eating in Southeast Asia and eating in Europe and, um, and photographing the wine countries of the world. I wanted to actually see, step in, walk, and touch the earth of as many wine countries as I could to really understand the differences. Now, you're looking through the lens... And you're seeing new subject matter. But were you treating your subjects in the same way as you did when you were a sports photographer? Absolutely. I'm still a sport. I've always been a sports photographer. I will always be a sports photographer, whatever I'm shooting. I'm looking for the pinnacle moment. Um, and I'm always trying to anticipate what that's going to be before it happens. Uh, and your rise as a well-known 
food photographer would come quickly. You've done how many books now? I've done 12 cookbooks. Tell me about the first. How did that come about? The first came about in Paris. Uh, I moved to Paris in 2004, and um, ultimately because I wanted to center myself in what I considered to be the food capital of the world. Um, I wanted to have access to all of the great French wine regions, and um, I made a good friend who was a chef, and he was doing a book with, uh, with a baker named Eric Kaiser, and we came up with this book concept that we worked on together, and uh, it was spectacularly uh, interesting, and um, that's where I really created my the way that I see and the way that I the way that I look at food. And the name of that first book was uh, "Beyond the Breadbasket" in English and "Autour des Pains" in French. Oh, je parle français, oui. Je parle français un peu. <laughs> je, trouve, je parle très bien. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stop right there, Clay. Uh, wine. Tell me about your relationship with wine. Obviously, living in France, you can't live in France and not have a relationship with wine. Uh, what is it about it? What is it about the winemakers? What is it about the stories? What is it about the, what ends up in a glass uh, that ignites a little fire in your belly? My passion for wine, I would say, started in college. And then when I moved back to San Francisco, um, I spent a lot of time in Napa. And so that's really where I carved my teeth cut my teeth yeah. on um, on wine. Well, you cut your teeth and you popped your cork. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can we drink to that? I, you listen, a little sip here and there helps the interview. Let's just do that. Gosh, this is getting better by the minute as well, by the way. Uh, so, Napa, uh, you get to know the winemakers, you get to know the chefs, but there was a pull, a pull that was pulling you to Italy, and you came to Piemonte. Tell me about that first visit here. When was it? Uh, and what was it about this region uh, that really spoke to you and sang to you? My first visit to Piemonte was in February of 2003. Um, I'd planned a trip to go skiing in the Dolomites, and I thought, you know, I'm going to be near Piemonte. I'd really like to go see this wine region. Uh, I spent two nights here, and I was absolutely blown away. The, the faces of the people, the landscape was absolutely breathtaking. I'd never seen a region so beautiful, and it was winter, so you could see the Alps. Um, the mountains covered in snow, and I just, I, I thought, oh my God, this is outrageous. I didn't think, you know, I was going to build a life here, but uh, it was, it was um, life, life-altering. So, that life-altering moment uh, would really become an, an actuality soon after. Uh, when a light bulb went off, and you decided, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to put a stake in the ground here. I'm going to make Piemonte home. What was that moment? A couple years later, um, I moved to Paris. Um, I had an assignment right off the bat. I did a travel story in Morocco. I met uh, a couple of people, um, some Americans, who told me a story about them buying a house, uh, kind of a shack or a, a pile of stones in Spain. <laughs> and I thought, well, now that I live in Europe... Sounds, it sounds appealing, doesn't it? It sounds it, so it, appealing. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, well, now that I live in Europe, it'd only been like a week, but now that I live in Europe, maybe I could do that. So a month later, um, I bought a plane ticket, and, and I had Piemonte still in my mind. Even though I didn't speak Italian, um, this place had spoken to me, and I thought maybe I could go find something. And you did. I did. Uh, and a second, you now have two properties here, right? Two properties. Yeah. You are living the life. I know that uh, in many ways you regard yourself as an accidental Italian. How so? Um, accidental because I had no intention that I, I knew that I loved Italian food I knew that I loved the Italian culture but I had no idea how much I would be inspired to take it on as my own 
I have to say, this is my first visit here to this region. I came with a blank slate, open mind, open heart from my first meal. We sat together. We enjoyed uh, some pasta, some tyrene. I'm going to tell this story for the rest of my life. Uh, and the lovely server brought me a little bowl of melted butter because she was concerned because I was talking. Figure that, me and talking. Taking, and taking pictures. <laughs> <laughs> taking photos, talking too much. And she was looking at the pasta from a distance through the window and seeing that perhaps, you know, it was going to go a little dry. She was thoughtful enough. Uh, she had the care and concern to bring me that bowl of butter. And those are the things, I think, that separate the people here in Piemonte from everywhere else. The care, the concern, the thoughtfulness. I mean, they are a special breed of people. And when it comes to food and wine and the connection to it, uh, there's no one else, no other place in the world that is like this region. There's, there's really nothing like it. and It's amazing. When you walk around town, for example, uh, we're here in Doliani at the market, constantly running into friends. But any conversation you hear, everybody is talking about food all the time. For those who've never been here, first of all, tell us where Doliani is exactly. Uh, and why should they come and visit? Why should they come and spend some time in this region? Uh, Doliani is in the Lange. Uh, we're a few minutes from uh, Barolo, uh, which is a UNESCO, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Um, it's stunningly beautiful. The people are incredibly, incredibly dedicated to their individual passions from the grassini maker to the hazelnut uh, growers to the winemakers to the cheesemakers. Um, everybody is just um, incredibly, incredibly generous. And um, it's, it's, it's beyond, I think, in your experience, what you could imagine people would be. Absolutely. Uh, authentic, genuine, full of heart. Everyone we've interacted with, from the winemakers to the chefs to the staff at restaurants, uh, they're doing it not necessarily for the money. They're doing it really uh, with their ancestors in mind, with their parents, their grandparents, uh, and keeping one eye on their legacy. Uh, here's an example. Sometimes I make, or I often make reservations for guests, for people who are visiting, and they ask me what time is their reservation, and I say, well, whenever you get there. <laughs> I love that. When does that happen? Turning tables does not exist. And we can tell a story. We had dinner the other night. You told me you were going to go to a family. We were going to go to a family-run restaurant. I thought, okay, well, family-run restaurant, no big deal. Papa Pierre is the chef. One of his sons, Matteo, is the other chef. Uh, Luca is the sommelier, uh, working the whole operation on the night. Uh, and you know, serving and making things run smoothly is Mama. Uh, and Grandma plays a role too. Grandma has actually seen, if, you, if the restaurant has been open since 1901, but Grandma has, is the, spans the entire family because it's been in the same family. She obviously knew her great grandfather or grandfather that started the restaurant. Um, and she is in charge of the, of the cash register. And she gives no discounts. <laughs> <laughs> no discounts. Here's what the family do. Uh, everything they do is with love, with passion. Uh, and they came and sat with us after our meal. We got there around 9 o'clock. Uh, we were still eating at 1 a.m. Family sat with us at 1 a.m. Open champagne. Open champagne. And we left at what time? 3. Yeah. 3 a.m. I asked Chef Pierre... Pierre. When do you close? He said, 
we close when everyone's finished. I said, when is that? He said, when they finish. It's, it's, it's unimaginable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's these day after day, you want, you care so much. I care so much about these people because they give so much. Um, smiles, uh, effort. They, I've never met anybody, a people who work so hard. I have a feeling that there's a book down the road uh, for the accidental Italian. Uh, I know that this is something you've been thinking much about. What kind of book uh, will you write? Uh, what will it be about? What will be at the heart of your book from this region? Um, I want to bring the stories to life from these incredible chefs. Um, I don't know how it's going to be divided up, but uh, there is too much of a beautiful, beautiful story to tell from numerous chefs, from from the son of one of the most famous uh, chefs named Cesare, um, who makes the most incredible roasted rabbit on an open fire. I actually built a fireplace uh, to cook in at, uh, at Villa San Lorenzo. In, in honor and to mimic what he does to the incredible, incredible pastas that are made, um, the incredible um, uh, steak, the incredible everything. It's just off the charts, and I, I haven't seen anything that really does it justice, and I would like to do that. So that's where the accidental part comes in. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't have any idea that I would become so passionate about uh, everything Piemonte. And Clay, this is a fact you spent your career taking photographs for other people and helping to tell their stories. Uh, and I know you will do that again through this book, but this is also very much your story as well. It is. I would, look, I would like to include, um, I would like to weave my stories and my experiences uh, into uh, this book. Um, you have a vineyard in your backyard. Oh, doesn't everyone here? Uh, no, not everyone, but you do. Uh, so very soon you will be able to add to the many other things you are a renaissance man but you'll be able to add farmer winemaker hopefully yeah absolutely um i went out to dinner with a with a good friend uh named franco who's a fruit and vegetable salesman in the market he's been doing that since he was 15 so for 31 years now and we showed up at this restaurant this is an interesting story um he introduces me to the chef she used to be the chef at little italy in san francisco here in Piemonte, and I was introduced as Contadino Americano, <laughs> American farmer. Um, yeah, so one of my other dreams was to plant a vineyard, and when I bought the property, that was my hope. And 10 years on, I was able to do that, and next year will be our first harvest. So you and I will be sharing a glass of your first vintage in what year? In, uh, if everything goes well and it's drinkable, in 2022. Yeah. Does that mean I'm invited back? Absolutely. Uh, we cannot leave without also... By the way, look at the scene here. We're, we're shooting a little video. Ciao! Uh, <laughs> everywhere you turn here, it's like a scene out of a movie. I, 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 I mean, when, when, I'm, when I'm taking pictures, because I'm usually taking pictures, yeah. um, when I'm tra- walking around town, I'm like, this is insane. I'm, I'm literally on a set in central casting. Yeah, you really are. Uh, we're going to add one more thing to the list of things that you do. Photographer, innkeeper, soon grower, winemaker, but author. The next one I want to add, Pizza Olai. Olo. Pizza Olo. Pizza Olo. Pizza Olo. A pizza maker. 
You make amazing pizza, Clay. I think because, you know, because I'm American, I thought if I have a house in Italy, I have to have a pizza oven. I've always loved pizza. Um, so I built a pizza oven, and I took it upon myself as a, a passion to try and become the best pizzaiolo that I could be. Um, so I share that pizza and bread making with all of my friends here. Well, uh, I had the joy of enjoying your pizza. If you know how to make pizza, I mean seriously seriously good pizza and you very bravely let me make a pizza it went well you told you told me you know what you knew what you were doing <laughs> it went well he says um if we were to share a recipe with our listeners from your favorite pizza which one would it be it would probably be my pesto pizza based on pauline's pizza which i started eating uh when i was 10 we love Pauline's Pizza in San Francisco. It is one of the best. I'm going to let you have the final word. For those who've never been here, to Piemonte, uh, in a nutshell, why should they come? Come here to experience authentic life and the most pure um, food and wine and views that you'll ever see. An absolute treat to hang with you, my friend, a San Franciscan living in the life, living the life in Piemonte, in Italy. You really are. Cannot wait for your first vintage of wine. Cannot wait for the book. Cannot wait to enjoy more of your pizza. Uh, Clay McLachlan, a true Renaissance man. He is living the life here in Italy. More on his story, plus that pizza recipe. Uh, we'll share it all. Grazie mille, my friend. Prego, figurati. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.